Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy Doviak About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner, and I write and speak, work with clients, and really just try to help people understand their money. And during this show, I'll be explaining different financial concepts and also giving you the opportunity to ask Peggy. You can send a question to my Facebook page that's also creatively called Ask Peggy, and I will then answer that question on the air in one of the upcoming shows. So let's start out with the Bulls and Bears market and economic update for the week that ended Friday, April 13th, 2018. And it was a better week for the market overall, with the Dow up about one and three quarters percent. The NASDAQ was actually up two and three quarters percent. The S&P 500 was up two percent. Gold was up about 0.85 percent, so a little less than a percent. And oil was the big winner of the week, up 8.35 percent, again, probably due to some of those Middle East pressures. And I want to talk a little bit about what happens when you're looking at the market and something starts really going up and everyone's first inclination is, wow, I should invest a lot of money in that because it's going up. But the problem with that kind of action, and it's very, very common, is that what goes up can come down just as easily. And I really want to offer the suggestion of staying diversified and don't put all your eggs in one basket and don't chase the market. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't put a little bit of money into something that you think will go up. If it fits your risk tolerance level and it's okay to have a small position in something you're really hoping will appreciate, that's fine. But it's more important to look at your investment account as that thing that's going to fund your future. Because this is the money you're going to have to live off of probably 30 years in retirement. You want to stay diversified. You want to stay inside your typical risk tolerance level. You don't want to get really enthusiastic about one investment that's doing great and invest all your money in it, and then it goes down. That's how people have the horrible market declines, the portfolio crashes that they can't necessarily recover from because once something is a bubble, it can take it a long time to get back to that valuation again when it is where it should be. For example, it took the NASDAQ a very long time to take out the dot-com highs. So it's not like a typical market decline where things come back and everything keeps going. When you get into a bubble, you actually buy a security or an index or a sector much higher than it actually should be valued. So be careful when you see things going up a lot that you take your portfolio really seriously as a long-term strategy and you don't make decisions that will hurt you at the end. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy Doviak About Your Finances show. 
And in this week's legislative update, I want to talk about a bill that's in Colorado right now. So it's on the state level. And you know how bills are. It probably isn't going to go anywhere. But it's really important for you to understand not only what this bill is, but the broader implications of what it means. So Colorado right now is considering passing a law that makes Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies not considered securities by the state. Now, interestingly, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and all of the others that that are out there are not defined as securities by the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, or by any other organization right now. So they're really still kind of in legislative no man's land. What Colorado is considering doing is actually passing a law that defines cryptocurrencies as not a security. That will be interesting if it passes. Certainly, I'll keep you in the loop and let you know what's going on because it could lead to pretty good explosions later on down the road. The SEC acknowledges on their website that cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are not securities. However, they also acknowledge that they're being treated a lot like securities by both investors and in marketing firms. So that you have both the cryptocurrency as well as the ICO, the initial currency offering, like IPO for stocks, but these are actually called ICOs. And the SEC, although not saying anything technically against purchasing a cryptocurrency, is very worried that clients don't really understand what they're buying when they get into it, and they're concerned that clients may get hurt in ways that they really don't understand. Now, it's important to know that because cryptocurrencies are not securities, then there aren't any really legal structures like mutual funds or exchange-traded funds that bundle the currencies together like you would with any other kind of security to create a fund. The SEC is particularly concerned because there have been some marketing techniques used that are making clients think that it's possible that they're buying like a bundle of cryptocurrencies. And by equating it to mutual funds, many investors who don't have a lot of stock market knowledge know enough to know that funds are typically safer than single stocks because you get the diversification. The problem in the cryptocurrency world is that's not necessarily true because the entire thing is so unregulated and there's so much dark money and the transactions can't be traced typically and a lot of it's done anonymously. So just because you own a lot of that does not make you any more safe than owning a small piece of it. So If you're looking at investing in this, you need to be really careful with ICOs. Remember in initial public offerings, what people try to do 
is buy it, it goes public, they make a lot of money. If they're not insiders and they have to hold it for a while, then they sell it. And, you know, it's the classic boom story. Well, the problem with ICOs is there really isn't nearly as much guarantee that they go up after an initial currency offering as we have confidence in the stock market. Now, given more time, and in my opinion, given more regulation, this might be a safer thing, although IPOs are risky on the very best of days with the very best holdings that you find out. Five years later, yes, you really should have bought Amazon in its initial public offering. But because cryptocurrencies are so new, the biggest risk you can take then is something that's new and something that's untested that's new, which is what you'll have in an ICO, and putting a bunch of money in it and hoping that it makes you a millionaire. So be very, very careful with ICOs. Be very careful with cryptocurrencies in general. And the SEC has a great list of questions that I'd like to summarize if you're thinking about going into this world. So the first question is, who are you contracting with when you're acquiring the cryptocurrency? You know, one of the advantages that some people see in this is that the transactions are very anonymous. But you don't want to get into the middle of a deal and not know who's on the other side of the table. So make sure that you know who you're doing business with. Then where is the money going that you're investing and what are they going to use it for? Because there's a lot of illicit activity right now that's happening inside the cryptocurrency world. And it's a fairly easy way to launder money is you get legitimate money from the purchase of something, a transaction has occurred in a cryptocurrency that then they pass back to the person who just purchased it. It might not mean meet the legal definition of money laundering, but it has a lot of the same characteristics. What kinds of rights do you retain with the investment? Will you get a financial statement and is it audited? It doesn't do you any good to get some balance sheet that someone within the firm just creates that no one looks at because you can put anything on a balance sheet. So you need to only work with companies that have audited financials. Is there trading data and can you see it? How can you sell the investment, the cryptocurrency once you own it, and how much are they going to charge you to sell it. So much like a commission when you buy or sell a stock, there can be a fee for selling your cryptocurrency. You need to know how much that fee is going to be before you get into it. Can you give it back to the company that sold it to you and have them give you your money back? Or can you receive some sort of economic transaction so you don't wind up holding something that has no cash value at all? If you have a digital wallet, what happens if you lose the key? You need to ask the company this. If there is a blockchain, then is that blockchain data open? Has the offering made any effort to structure as a security within the security laws? So are they trying to, in anticipation of eventually cryptocurrencies becoming securitized, are they taking the steps in advance to be compliant with that law when and if it happens? 
And then what happens if there's a fraud or a hack? What are they doing to protect your identity? And then finally, do you have any legal rights and how would you go about enforcing them? Now, I don't mean to be just a downer, but those are incredibly important things to understand because this really is the wild west of investing, except it's not because it's not a security. So giving money and bartering and trading and trying to make money. So you've got to be very careful. One final thing is cryptocurrency gains are taxable by the IRS. So it's up to you to keep good records. The IRS is beginning to look at this because the gains have been grossly underreported. They know how many transactions are occurring and either everybody's losing money at this or people aren't paying their taxes the way they're supposed to. So think about these things. Go on the SEC website, do more research, make sure you understand the tax code so that if you decide to go into cryptocurrencies, you are safer. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back. I'm Peggy Doviak, and this is the Ask Peggy Doviak About Your Finances show. In this block, Plan Your Prosperity, I want to talk to you about mutual funds because I know that many people are invested in mutual funds, and I also know that people don't always necessarily understand what that means. They know that it's a collection of investments. They know that somehow it's supposed to keep them safer. And this ties a little bit back to that last section where um, we were talking about Bitcoin. And they said, if it's a mutual fund, you need to be really careful because it really can't be since it's not a security. So in this section, we're going to talk about what mutual funds are and why they might make sense for you. And then some of the things that you really need to look at if you're thinking about buying a mutual fund. So the first thing to know about a mutual fund is that they're created by mutual fund companies. So when you buy a mutual fund, you're actually buying into the fund company. Now, what this means to you as an investor is you want to do a little bit of research into the fund company that you're buying into along with the mutual fund itself. So let's assume that some sort of a mutual fund is created by a company called Smith Financial, because I don't want to go and provide some sort of an endorsement where you think that I'm favoring one fund company over another. So my mutual fund company is called Smith Financial. So you want to look at them and how long have they been creating funds? What sort of business structure do they have? Do they seem financially sound? Because you don't want to buy a mutual fund from a company that's going to run into a lot of financial issues on their own. So you've got to really look at the risk of the fund company in addition to looking at the risk of the fund itself. So assuming that the fund company is fine, then when you look at the fund, typically a mutual fund is an investment that holds different kinds of securities that have something in common or are working to meet one major goal. So, for example, there are index funds. 
index funds track indexes. So you might have a mutual fund that tracks the S&P 500, and that lets you know that that fund holds all of the stocks in the S&P 500 in the same percentage as you would own if you owned the entire S&P 500. So it lets you get great diversification of 500 companies all packaged down into a fund that can cost something that's very reasonable. You know, maybe $50, $70. An expensive fund might be a little bit more than that. But typically, they try to keep the prices so that you can acquire the entire S&P 500 for, say, a $75 investment. There are also funds that are called actively managed funds. And actively managed funds have a fund manager. So that rather than tracking an index, this fund manager takes a sector of stocks. So let's, let's keep the same sector as the S&P 500, which would be U.S. large cap, big American companies. And so the fund manager chooses companies that he or she think will outperform. And when you're looking at managers' performance, what you're looking at is how much do they beat their index by? So if you have an actively managed big American company fund, then you're going to compare it to the S&P 500 index. Did the fund manager do better? Did they do worse? Did they tie? This is where they say that um, actively managed mutual funds typically don't outperform the index. There are some spectacular fund managers, but if you opt for an actively managed fund, you need to be really careful that you're getting enough performance that it's worth the extra fees. You can have sector funds, so manufacturing or technology. Now, be very careful in sector funds because people are creating sectors that are more designed for emotional appeal than they are investment wisdom. A while back, there was a whole series of mutual funds that tracked different kinds of cancer treatments. So you could buy the breast cancer mutual fund where they were tracking the firms that were doing breast cancer research, which is awesome if you are trying to support someone who's fighting breast cancer in your family. But the problem with it is the funds did not do well. You're much better off investing to make money and then making charitable donations to those organizations that you want to support. So make sure you're not being manipulated by the kind of fund it is. There's international funds, there's developed markets, there's emerging markets, there's bond funds, government funds, corporate funds, high-yielding funds. So all different kinds of mutual funds exist. The last kind I want to talk about today is the target date fund where they take your retirement age and they assume you're retiring at 65 and then they set a year that matches that year or within five years of when you'll be 65. They create an asset allocation. These are always actively managed funds that they believe will help you get to your retirement goals. And then every year or periodically, the fund becomes systematically less risky. So that as you approach 65, the fund becomes more and more conservative. When people understand these, 
They can work very well, but you need to know what the asset allocation is. How quickly are they becoming conservative? How conservative are they becoming? And does it really match your risk tolerance? That's where people get in trouble. They don't do the research under the hood of the fund to see what they own. They just buy the fund with the year. It doesn't perform like they expected, and that's because they really didn't know what they owned. I would also want you to make sure that you understand how much it costs you to own the fund. I'm not talking about commission. I'm actually talking about the annual fee that every fund is going to charge you. It may be a very small fee. It may be a larger fee. Actively managed funds typically have fees that are quite a bit higher than index funds because someone's in there working with them all the time. So make sure you understand the fee. Make sure you're not paying more fee than another equivalent fund might cost. Make sure that you're getting the bang for your buck. So really, there's nothing wrong with an actively managed fund. As long as you know what you own, the fund manager is performing at an appropriate level, and the fees don't eat up all of the gain. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy section of Ask Peggy Doviak About Your Finances. And this week, Drake asked me, I just graduated from college and I have a good job, but I don't have any money in savings. Should I fund an emergency fund before I start participating in my company's retirement plan? And Drake, that's a great question and congratulations on having a job that has a retirement plan. And the answer to that is don't think either or. And what I mean by that is a lot of times people come with come to me with financial goals. Well, should I do this or should I do this? What I like to recommend is that you do both of them because you're right. You need an emergency fund. Eventually, that emergency fund needs to be pretty large. For right now, start by trying to save two weeks of your monthly expenses. That would cover like one big bill of something going wrong. And then continue to save your emergency fund in two-week sections until you have something of between three and six months, depending upon your personal circumstances. So yes, you should start putting some money in the bank as an emergency fund. But if your company offers a match in your 401k plan, that is free money to you. So if they match your income, maybe up to 3%, um, so you put in 3% of your income, they match you up to 3%, so now you're getting 6% going in every year. You should try to put money into that as well so that you're not losing that free match that your employer is putting in. If you can't fully reach the 3%, that's fine. Just split the money that you have, begin that emergency fund, because remember, usually when you put it into the 401k plan, you're completely losing access to it. So funding your retirement plan is not creating a emergency fund for you. But try to put some money in both so you can get the free money from the match, you can have an emergency fund, and everything works. 
Now, if your employer doesn't match, then you might want to go ahead and save your emergency fund first, at least getting started in it so that you have some money in the bank in case something goes wrong so you don't have to pay for an expense with debt. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. My second question this week comes from Rebecca, who asks, are my advisor's fees deductible on my taxes? And Rebecca, unfortunately, the last year you could deduct your advisor's fees for a few years was 2017. So on the tax return that you just turned in, your advisor's fees were deductible. However, for 2018, and as long as the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is in effect, they got rid of that deduction. So the CPAs and the attorneys and the financial advisors are no longer deductible. There were many other changes to the tax code as well. And so what I would recommend that you do this year is consult a CPA early on in the year or do some tax code reading on your own because some of the changes that have happened would be better to implement over the course of a year rather than finding out December 15th that you misunderstood something and now you don't have time to fix it or the financial drain of fixing it is just too great to pull off in two weeks. So spend some time early this year looking at the tax code. One other thing about taxes that you didn't ask me is this is the week your taxes are due. Due to some enterprising person in Washington, D.C. who decided to make April 15th a Washington, D.C. holiday, our taxes are no longer due on that day. And I think forever they're now going to actually be due on the 16th. Now, this year, the 15th was on a Sunday, which meant the 16th, the holiday, was on a Monday, so the taxes are actually due now on Tuesday, the 17th. But remember that if you haven't filed your taxes and instead you filed an extension because you didn't quite make it, you still have the tax liability due on April 15th. Just because you filed an extension did not give you an extension of time to pay the bill. So if you filed an extension because you're afraid you owe money and you don't have the money right now, so you filed the extension so you could pay it in September, the problem with that is in September you will owe the money that you owed, like you owe right now, and you'll owe interest on that money that they'll start accruing the day that it's late, and you might have an underpayment penalty. So be very careful with that strategy of not paying your taxes now because you don't want to have to pay the bill because actually the money is due April 17th this year. Go ahead. You can write the IRS a check. Talk to a CPA if this is your situation because you want to make sure that they match up the money that you send in with your extension, with your tax return, because you wouldn't want that not to match up at the end of the day. But pay the bill because you owe it now, and even an extension can't save you. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. 
Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. So let's take a couple of minutes and review what we talked about today. First, remember that even if one asset is really going up and you're watching the stock fly up or you're watching the sector fly, do not let that impact your risk tolerance level and your long-term portfolio management goals because markets can go down just as easily as they can go up and it's important that you stay on track for your financial plan. If you want to buy Bitcoin, really understand what you're buying or any of the other cryptocurrencies. Make sure that you can get your money back. Make sure you know what you own. Make sure that the investment really does match your risk tolerance level and understand how risky it is. Mutual funds should be reviewed for fund companies, as well as fund characteristics, the success of fund managers, and the fees that they charge. Remember, too, that you can meet two financial goals at the same time. Avoid your either-or thinking and save an emergency fund at the same time that you're funding your 401k plan. And then finally, it's really important to take time to understand the tax code this year because of the changes. Don't forget to send questions to Ask Peggy on Facebook. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.